Hey, do-betters. This isn't the show yet. I'm actually going to tell you about some future advertising. Basically, we've never wanted to be the type of podcast that changes the content in order to make money or that's constantly begging for donations. We've been approached by a number of brands to potentially sponsor on the podcast, and a lot of them just don't seem right. One of them is genuinely a virtual running company. They clearly never listened before, and we wouldn't want to do anything that we weren't actually proud of and being honest about our own use. So that's when we thought, why don't we actually advertise what we do? If we find a way to make money, it then means we don't have to make money through the podcast, so it can stay unprofessional without a whole load of garbage that's coming in your ears just for our sake. So, over the next few episodes, you may be hearing some adverts from Jody, myself and Ali about our companies and whether or not you want to use them and use us. No pressure, but be great if you do. To start us off, here's a little bit about Caffeine Bullet. I created it because it was something I genuinely wanted that I didn't think existed in the running world. It's essentially a mint chew with more caffeine in than a Red Bull, but because you chew it, the caffeine's absorbed directly through your gums into your bloodstream, so it kicks faster than caffeine gels, pills, and energy drinks. Now, a few of you may have tried some of the prototypes, and we've actually changed the product three times. So now it's truly something that I'm proud of and tastes really nice. It's not just me that thinks they're great. If you look on Amazon, we have over 150 five star reviews. They're all genuine all from runners, and are mostly tales of how Caffeine Bullet made them run faster and set new personal bests. If you don't know about caffeine, it helps 90% of us. It reduces the perception of pain. It increases your endurance. It releases fat into your bloodstream, and it increases alertness. So in terms of running, it is the only legal performance-enhancing drug. That's it. If you want to try some, you can get 25% off using FYB at caffeinebullet.com. If you're the 10% of people that don't respond to caffeine, then give it a miss. It's not for you. But for everyone else, it will genuinely make you run faster. And if you're ever tired or need some motivation, it's the fastest way to get some energy. So give it a try. FYB at caffeinebullet.com. Now, on with the show. They're bad, they're boys, and occasionally they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back, baby, come back. With the bye, 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 with the bye, 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around, but that doesn't mean that you have to leave. Hey, Ali Bailey. Wow, you've instantly lost connection with me. I don't know how that happens. Hello, Ali Bailey. Hello, David. Hello, I'm eating a banana. Oh, wow. Um, that's very sexual looking. Um, for great podcasts to eat. It does indeed. It does. It's visualize that at home, runners. And I'm going to mash it up so it doesn't crunch or anything. So you won't even know I'm eating it. Except the fact I've told you I'm eating it. (laughs) You've got dried out bananas that you're now mashing up. No, it's a real banana. It's Ah, a smooshed banana. I don't like dried up bananas. They're disgusting. Anyway, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Um, We, we've got a treat today. This is this is a good, good episode, a uh, good interview. It's going to be a long one, so we're going to split it into two. But before we do that, 
Um, this is the last time we're going to see you in a while, isn't it? This might be the last time you ever see me. It might be. That, that is potentially true. Can you imagine how sad that would be? It generally would be very sad, yeah. Um, I'm not even going to joke about that. Devastating for the listeners, but don't worry, I'm not going over to marathon talk, <laughs> despite the uh, the rumours in the media. Uh, I'm just going to go have a little icy jog week with, a, with seven celebrities. I mean, that is... I think most people have seen this, haven't they? If they if they follow you on Facebook, they'll have some sense because you you seem to have been on what every mainstream television show. I don't think that's actually true. I've been on two television shows for about one minute each time. But um, the biggest, they're the biggest shows on in the UK, really. Yeah, you know, BBC Breakfast gets like one point two million people viewing it. It's a lot of people, isn't it? I imagine the one show is even bigger. Is it, do you think? I didn't really look. Um, but yes, it's all very exciting and it's been a big secret for a while now. But for those people who are not uh, UK-based listeners, every year the BBC, the biggest British Broadcasting Castle, does a fun event called Sport Relief where they send celebrities off to do some kind of sport that is um, difficult and then the celebrities raise money for charities. So this year it's uh, mental health charities, which is very close to my heart. And this year they're going to Mongolia to run across Lake Kozgol, which uh, they saw the rat race event, Mongol 100, and were like, that looks good. So we've um, adapted it for them. So it's not going to be exactly the same, but it's going to be very, very similar. Adapted, uh, like made it easier or made it harder? Uh, well, the thing is, with, with Mongol 100, it's by any means. So you can run, skate or ride a bike. It's four days. It's mm. about... 25 miles a day and you sleep on in girls in between and it's all great so if you fancy riding a bike for a bit great if you fancy skating for a bit great if you fancy getting in a van for a day and or a sledge great like as long as you finish it that's fine but for sport relief we're they're, they're billing it as a, a triathlon without the swimming so one day's running one day's biking one day's ice skating and then the fourth day will be whatever they want to do because it might be they get on the bike and realize that riding a bike's really horrible or they get on the skates and realize that it's not like the uh, Sydney mice rink it's like skating on a trail um and uh have you tried it I've had a go on it and it's it's annoying because the ice cracks and breaks and has like fault lines in it you can't get a line no some bits are smooth but a lot of it isn't so 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 you have to take the skates off they're like backcountry skates you you can unclip them from your shoe you got to unclip them trot along the bit that you can't skate on and put back on again and that's a bit of a ball ache so it's not that fun I mean it is when it's like iphone ice where it's really really clear yeah, yeah. but it's not like it's 20, it's 100 miles long that lake so it's not it's like any 100 miler you know you get your road section your trail section your <laughs> hilly section you don't know what shoes to wear but it's a bit more difficult when you're wearing a pair of skates <laughs> how long have you known about this for oh since september i've known about it for a long time <laughs> oh really no yeah oh man i don't I, I struggle with keeping secrets, as you you probably know. Um, I've I've got one that I can't tell as well, and I I won't be able to tell you until, mm, well, let's just say after the next Barkley Marathons. But oh, can I um, guess? Can I guess what the secret is? No, because I basically Laz told me. And you're said, a vegan. He said, he said, I'm a vegan. He said, you're the only person that knows this in the world. So if anyone what? finds if anyone finds out. I'm going to know it's you that told them. And I'm like, no, don't do that to me. Don't. When did he tell you this? This was when we were, we were looking at graves in St. Paul's Cathedral. I thought um, you said we were looking at grapes. 
We were looking at grapes. We were looking at grapes in Sainsbury's. The grapes of wrath. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were just kind of pottering rounds, discussing history and uh, various things. The Empire, the Great War. Um, is this a clue? You were looking at graves in Sainsbury's. Yeah. Is, is it a clue? Yeah, someone's going to die. This uh, no, no, no clues. I can't. Anyway, um, so, so, so they. I guess they approached Jim, did they? Mm. I believe that that was the case. They approached Jim. They haven't done. The funny thing is, do you remember we had Greg White on ages ago? Mm. Um, and he said, "You said what's the next sport relief challenge?" And he said, "Oh, they've never been anywhere cold." I knew at that point they were going to Mongolia. <laughs> I knew. But, but Greg's not involved anymore, is he? No. Um, and. Um, They've got Dr. Zoe now. So Dr. Zoe is a younger... She used to be a gladiator. Do you remember... Uh, which gladiator was she? She was... I can't remember what her name was. But she was a gladiator. She's married to Hunter, who was also a gladiator. What? No. Oh, yeah. wow. I'm excited now. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to Google it. Like, it's in the original gladiators. Yeah, she was... I think she was actually second second level, second tranche gladiators. But I remember her. I'm going to Google her and I'm going to tell you who yeah. which one she was. She's um, not Jet, is she? No, because if she That's was Jet... fancied. She'd still be called Jet from Gladiators because that is what Jet from Gladiators' name actually is. What about, was she Deadly Nightshade, the non-racist name for... Uh... <laughs> God, how did they get away with that? Do you remember Shadow? <laughs> Shadow, yeah. How? Yeah. Um, how I... did they get away with that? That was just awful. She was, she was the character Amazon. I don't remember an Amazon. Oh, I do. Yeah. So Amazon was second wave gladiators. She wasn't first series. Not when Phil Norman was the gladiator champion. I only oh. know that because Phil Norman is now my brother's kickboxing coach. No. Yeah. Oh, can we get him on the podcast? Yes. Phil is yes. one of my all time heroes. Really? Oh, he yes. only lost to two scoops because he slipped on the travelator. <laughs> he was ahead of two scoops the whole way through the competition. And for the so if you're if you don't know two scoops or if you don't know Phil, they're or the if best you don't two. know what we're talking about, just yeah, fast forward to the interview. Yeah, I mean, Two Scoops was the best American. He was unbelievable. Phil was the best European. And in the, they met in the semi-final, annoyingly. And it was on the last travel area. It couldn't, ah, oh, just utter heartbreak. I'm going to watch that after this on YouTube. Um, um, I'm a big fan of Amazon the Gladiator, I have to say. Well, yeah, the thing is, right. I was in, uh, here's some TV goss for you. I was in the green room at the, um, at the Beeb. Yeah. And um, they'd been given a load of kit and they all had to try it on. So I found myself in a room with Zoe, Zoe uh, Gladiator Williams and Sam Womack, who was Sam Janus, who Sam. was oh. in Game On. A oh, 90s, yeah. A 90s teenage wank classic. <laughs> My brothers. You didn't have to tell me that. Yeah, every bloke I've met has been like, what's she like? And I'm like, oh. So I said to her, so they, basically I'm in there and they're both in their underwear and I'm sat there staring at them going, if I was my brothers in 1995 right now, I would be having a fucking heart attack. But I said to her, you know, that like, you would, not be having you would be, I'll be doing something well, else. Yeah. But uh, I said to her, you know, that my brothers were here now, they would just be like, what the fuck? Because they were in love with you. And she was like, yeah. Funny that, isn't it? Because everybody loves that character. You know why? And I'm like, why? She's like, because she was a slag and everyone loves the slag. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I was like, okay, but it was okay in the 90s to call people a slag, apparently. Like it was okay to call a gladiator shadow. So. Well, I I got to meet um, Martin from. Oh, love, uh, oh, that, Martin. That's as close as I ever got to, uh, to game on. Um, oh, that is. They should bring that back. That was. I think that. I think they tried to make that in the States and it. it 
just didn't work. It wouldn't work. If they brought it back now, I don't think it would work because you're not allowed to laugh at people who have got mental health issues, okay? So there's a guy with acrophobia who waxes the surfboard. You're not allowed to laugh at people who have got ginger hair. There is a guy with ginger hair. And you're not allowed to have blonde women uh, who are um, sexually... I would say sexually free um, because that's apparently not a feminist thing to do. Actually, I think it's a very feminist thing to do. Yeah. but yeah, do you know what the other day I started watching This Life? Do you remember This Life? It was oh, on in the 90s. Andrew Lincoln. Yeah, Egg from This Life. Oh, but that that has definitely not aged well. Oh, oh no. What In what way? It's just also stereotypical. Like, you know, the gay guy, like the affairs, the way lawyers behave. It's like, this yeah. is, I guess in the 90s, that's what it, everybody was just loose, weren't they? So, yeah, 90s. Yeah, man, they were decades where everyone just got on it. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm just going to mention it now. What, well, what's your favourite episode of Game On? So if you haven't seen this, listener, Game On was a, 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 a sitcom pr- primarily based just in the lounge of a house where... Was it Matthew? It was yeah. Matthew, Martin. I can't remember what Sam's name was. Where Matthew was a, a kind of cool but loser landlord who had agoraphobia, so would never leave the house. And he'd bully Martin, who was a, a ginger, geeky, I'm going to say like a teacher maybe, um, yeah. to, to basically always making cups of teas, to just do everything for him. And then they all... Found... And it was Mandy. Mandy was the other one. It was her, Mandy. Um uh, What was your favourite episode, would you say? Uh, my favourite episode was the episode where um, Matthew uh, attempted to leave the house and he went out of fight. That happens twice. That happens twice, though. The one where he goes out with a surfboard with all of the, like... <laughs> he's dressed as a surfer. He's got his surfboard and he's got all of the, like, zinc under his eyes and he's, like, freaking out walking down the high street. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah, his first time out of the house, uh, he finally gets the confidence to go out and then he's he's involved in an arm robbery where he's just, <laughs> he's just lying on the floor creeping. I like the one where he joins a band and uh he's obviously trying to play it cool he's the lead singer and every time he performs he has such fear of the crowds that he just ends up weeping on the floor and like the enemy love it and he becomes this this absolute new sensation of this band is so edgy and it's just him having nervous breakdowns repeatedly on stage brilliant oh brilliant. my god i about that episode but basically because I, I loved him i loved that bloke matthew chaplin that's his name i think mm. um but uh, ben chaplin sorry but um I've forgotten about that episode, but actually, having worked in the music industry, that's basically what it's like. They're all having a fucking <laughs> mental breakdown on stage, and people keep buying tickets. <laughs> but um, so, 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 talk us through how we know. So, you, so in September, you kind of found, found out. Like, mm-hmm. what kind of checks, and what were you involved in? Um, the selection? Were you? No, did you have no, to no, no, safety no. differently or anything like that? Or no, there's so many work. There's so many bits of this. There's the production company. There's Comic Relief. There's BBC. Um, and then there's Jim. So, but yeah, the insurance has been hilarious. It's just very difficult when you've got celebrities and, and you know, so what if this happens? What if that happens? Um, and um, I don't know how long they've been training for because the lineup's changed a few times because people get injured, <laughs> people pull out. I so, thought Carol Vorderman's not in it. No, she was going to be, but she got injured. But um, but now, but you know, you sit on like the one show two weeks before you leave, and they're like, "What sort of training should they be doing?" You're like, "If they've not done any." <laughs> Should not ask this question now. A bit late for that. Um, so, so who have you got then? We've got, uh, we've got, we've got, we've got, got. this guy called Corinne, who's a CBBC presenter. It was going to be somebody else, but they got involved in a scuffle with a pap and we decided not to bring them. No, who was that? 
It was, uh, I'm going to say it was uh, one of the Love Island lot, but that's as far as I'm going. Oh, I don't know them. Okay, so how do you um, spell cream? I want to see what they look like. If they uh, cream, it's, it's K-R-E-M, I think. Um, I don't know who he is. I don't really watch TV, so I'm not really, like, au fait with everyone. Is it Kareem like D-Ream with a K hyphen? No. K-A-R-E-M. I'm just looking now. Um, we'll come back to him. Judge Rinder. We love Judge Rinder. So, um, so just for our internationalists, it's basically Kareem's a children presenter. Judge Rinder is our equivalent of Judge Judy. He is. And also he apparently said, well, he said, he said that he's run a couple of marathons, right? Yeah. So I got home and did a little bit of digging. Turns out his marathon PB is 3.12 and his average t- marathon time, I think is about 3.24. And he's entered very many marathons under different names. So he's oh, actually the dark horse. So he doesn't want people to know Judge Rinder's doing the marathon, essentially. No, I don't think he does. So interesting. He's quite funny as well, I think. I think he's. I think he. I think he's going to be great. I think all of them have the capacity to be great. It's how they cope with it mentally. Because uh, once you get out there, you're not famous anymore, and you don't have loads of money, and you are on your own unless you, you know, buddy up and look after. You've got to look after yourself. So, Judge Rinder. Kareem Zurul, that's really bad. I've just googled him. He's um he's pretty hot. Um he looks hot. like he looks like he's not out of shape. Doesn't mean he's in shape. But he's nineteen, so he'll be keen and uh, yeah. probably quite fit. Yeah, um, in fact, it looks like he's done a lot of dancing. Maybe he was on Strictly or something like that. So oh, do you know what? I think he was. He was on something like that, but yeah. I don't know what it was. Um, Rinder was on Strictly, wasn't he? Because my mum's like, oh, I loved him on Strictly. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> You know he's gay, right, Mum? What? Yeah. <laughs> he was uh, on Strictly. Yeah. Um, Nick Grimshaw. Uh, Nick Grimshaw. So that's our, our Radio 1 main presenter for mm-hmm. seven years, like the biggest radio, radio DJ for, what, seven years or so? Oh, is he? He doesn't strike me as someone who is particularly in shape. He looks pretty much like he's in shape. I think he goes to the gym a lot, so I think he's probably got quite a lot of core strength. Um, I think he's got the kind of personality that he'll he'll just make light of it and kind of soldier through the problem is you can't make light of it when it's minus 40 at night <laughs> and you're laying on the ice which is what they're going to make them do <laughs> oh wait are they are they in the same yurts that you're you were in and uh-uh. they're gonna have no <gasps> oh what? they are building them tents on the ice they're gonna be sleeping on the ice so they're gonna put about this is only one night and the rest of the time they'll be on the islands but the islands are cold enough but the ice is just you won't sleep at all and this is the thing right it's one thing saying you can make it across the ice 25 miles a day, right? Yeah. It's another thing when you're fucking knackered and you're hungry, but you don't know you're hungry because when you're cold, you don't realise how hungry you are. You're dehydrated because you're, don't, you're not getting sweaty, so you forget to drink. Um, and, it's, and you're doing something which you're not an expert at. Like, even, you know, even if you're a really good cyclist, riding that far on the ice with the bike slipping underneath you and you having to concentrate, yeah. it's hard. But, but not getting any sleep is even harder. And, and it is re- it, it's really cold. And, so and are they going to have mats and things? or They'll probably have a mattress, but mattresses don't help because they conduct the coldness through the springs. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. I remember laying there in, in the, in, I remember this is the closest I ever came to sleeping with Lee Stuart Evans. And we all know that nobody wants to do that. But we were laying there one night and it was me, Pete Reese, Darren, G-Law and Lee. And I like, I like the way out of those five hotties you chose Lee as your... I know, I had, Lee, I had Lee on one side and Pete Reese on the other. But okay. I don't want to go near Reese because I know that his wife would fucking <laughs> touch him. Whereas Lee, whatever. 
and you know that she'd have she'd have just heard she would have she wouldn't have even packed anything she'd have just started running she'd, she'd just run all the way to mongolia through the ice through the weather she would have come through the girl in tiny short shorts and her club vest <laughs> just ripped me with a claw dragged you out by your hair <laughs> We love probably, you, Miller. We probably, love told, probably told me really nicely to fuck off. Um, <laughs> but basically, we woke up in the middle of the night and it, we had like millions of layers on, like loads. I had a one piece and a North Face jacket and a sleeping bag and a deal over me. And I looked at the boys' faces and their beards were covered in ice where they'd breathed, been breathing on them. And this was inside with the fire on. And Lee was like, You okay? And I'm like, No. And he's like, We're just going to have to like bundle together. So we just all had to squeeze together like a sausage to try and keep <laughs> on the outsides. Uh, who's the, have, Lee was on one outside. Down, I, think. I think Lee was on one outside. I think Julor was on the other outside. <laughs> and so then, are they not going to have those fires then? They will on. So they're only going to be in the ice for one night. I think they, they they will actually die if they stay on it for any longer than that. They said they will have the fires, and that you know the problem. The thing is, right? It's a challenge. It's not if it's not hard. What's the point in doing it? And they yeah. keep saying this is the hardest one they've done. They've done Kilimanjaro. They've done. This, that, the other big gyro is not hard. It's a bit of trekking, and can you deal with the altitude, which is a, a lottery? Yeah, exactly. It's not uh, difficult. It's just like, yeah. But this is admin. This is like proper self admin. And of course, they're gonna have. We got medics there. We got people to help them. Comic relief got team. We've got our team. Like they'll be absolutely fine. But there is gonna be a, you know, an element of danger because there always is when you go anywhere that's not, like not normal, right? But so things, things like because the tr- the trouble is that like, you guys know what you're doing, but the celebs are being looked after by other people, and do those people know what they're doing? No. Or are you having to look after the people that are looking after the celebs? I think I'll be looking after the people that are looking after the celebs, and if they need me to run with them for a bit and give them a bit of encouragement, I will. But I'll be using the Bailey three-step method, which I explained to Louise Minchin, who's another <laughs> one of the celebrities. Who's Louise Minchin? Louise Minchin presents BBC Breakfast, and she she's a triathlete. Okay, she's done like okay. Wolf's Man and stuff like that, but she's really nice, and I'm sure we can rehabilitate her, like I did Gino. Does, does she think that she's probably? Is she fairly confident then? No, think? no. She gets really bad Reynolds. She is, oh. hates the cold. Gosh, um, Reynolds. That's uh-huh. that's gonna kill her. That, yeah. that, that's just not. But that it, that is not just a bad idea. That that is like edging on like serious losing fingers, Mentalism, right? Yeah. But um, we're gonna keep our ha- we got we're gonna keep our hands warm. We've got all the kit. We've got loads of hand warmers. We've got they've got jackets that have got heat packs in them. Like they've got better kit than I have. Like you know mm. they've been provided with all this kit by a certain well-known kit brand person. Um, so they're not allowed to say who. It's Berghaus. Oh. They all look amazing. Oh. And I'm looking at the Berghaus stuff and I'm like, is there any left over for me? Um, <laughs> well, come on, none of them are gonna use it again. Currently sponsored by Ultimate Direction, but <clears throat> never mind. Um, <laughs> but uh, they anyway. She's really worried and she's actually asked a lot of questions. And it's funny because the girls, um, Sam, Womack, her, have asked, and, so, and Zoe, have asked more questions than the boys have. They haven't asked any questions to me. Oh, that's like, not a good sign. Not really, no. Because because I think that they think that it'll be okay. And it's like, yeah, it probably will be okay. But you need to understand this is a, not a small undertaking. And just because people have done it before doesn't mean it's like, and not a lot of people have done it before, maybe like yeah. under 100 have done it before. Well, so I imagine that the, the conditions could be dramatically different week to week let alone year to year well yeah like you know when i went it was minus 40 when they went last year during the day at one point it got to minus 10 which was positively balmy um, <laughs> but you just don't know what it's going to be like so it's going to be a very interesting week but the funny thing is it's not like a normal bucket list because the point of this is we're making a documentary it's and you know we're trying mm. to raise money and so there might be a lot of sitting in the van for me or a lot of eating crisps and doing crosswords and um but it's going to be a very interesting journey and this way like will you 
is is that in itself harder if you're just or, or the other vans warm and are there always kind of warm places if you're not doing the actual challenge yeah the vans are relatively warm they're, they're like old russian school buses uh, they're not like luxury vans um and they stink of petrol and you're worried they're going to explode but they are warmer than being on the ice and you just have to wear the right kit as long as you've got like four layers on decent pair of gloves and a big jacket and and your sleeping bag if you want your sleeping bag and you can just like nestle up in the back like with whoever's there whoever is there to give you body heat you nestle in <laughs> so Lee Stuart Evans is booking his ticket out again yeah there so, is um... no there's no me too ro- rule on the lake <laughs> it's just like yeah me too which is <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> yeah it's the me too question mark yes, <laughs> yes. um so what have they said then about your role while you're there and, and like have, have have like the have the celebs just been pinging you questions back and forth uh... I've, I've only met a couple of them I've, I've met like a handful of them in fact the only ones I haven't met I haven't met oh uh the guy the newsreader oh, i can't remember what his name is christian oh, murphy haven't met oh, him yet he's he's a cool guy isn't he yeah i think he's a really cool guy i mean i've always thought he was a cool guy but um people can surprise you sometimes though <laughs> as I, yeah, as especially there. under those conditions yeah so i haven't you know it's not like i've been their their point of contact or anything like that i've literally just met them all for like maybe like an hour and had a little chat with a few of them um, he's not in shape they, though is he like, no he's, he's not he's, he's not. pretty out of shape from what i recall yeah yeah, he, I think. Yeah, I think he he will. It'll be. I think it'll be a chance for all of them. But I think it'll be. The thing is, right? If you're going to go out there and try and spaff it, like and smash it, you're 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 going to fail because none of them have experience of multi-day racing. They've yeah. all got experience of doing stuff, but not yeah. multi-day. Yeah, that's, that's a whole new ball game. I mean, so do I don't you... know how much advice they're going to want me to give them, or how much encouragement they're going to want me to give them. But they need to understand, and I really hope they do yeah. understand this: that you have to hold it in. Do you think the fact that because it is changing sports that that actually is going to make it easier because you are then focusing on a different muscle group? Uh, no, I don't. I really okay. don't. Because um, they'll be like, oh, I've only got to run 25 miles, so Rinder's going to be off on his seven and a half minute mile pace. Yeah, you will and be. Gonna, and he's going to have to get on a bike, which is, yeah, di- completely different muscle group, but you're cold. Rinder you can probably do it in one. You have, yeah, you haven't warmed up. You haven't done any of the stuff you would usually do at home. There's no bath. There's no foam, foam roller. There's no hot chocolate. There's no that. There's no protein shake. There's just go so to what, sleep. What are they going to do for food and drink? Do you know, have they, have they all got their in individual supplies no. and preference, no. or no. everyone's blanket? Everyone's blanket. Most it's mostly expedition meals, and then one night we're going to have reindeer and oh reindeer livers or wolf tongues or whatever there is on offer. Oh, at the which, local, which expedition local meals? I don't know actually. Um, I'd, I've uh, I've had my list, but that's crew list, so I don't know. But they're, they're not going to be like eating like foie like, gras and like, like lio ones. It's going to be the shitty ones with loads of fat in and yeah, it's going to be like the ones you put hot water in and wait. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. And then you know, bring your own. They've, they've been told to bring food that they want to eat, but the problem with that is everything fucking freezes. So unless it's ice cream, you're fucked. <laughs> I, I smashed a shot block on that on that lake in anger i pulled it out it was frozen and i threw it and it shattered into a million bits oh my god that's quite cool mm. I uh, but yeah I'm, I... like, I'm taking a load of caffeine bullets to give them oh, do it so do it warm. i keep them down my sports bra and keep them warm and be like do you want to chew <laughs> give fucking one of them a heart attack it'd be great <laughs> dr zoe will be like don't eat that <laughs> and are you have you got any of the um of the crew and you you might not be able to say this have you got any sweepstakes okay oh not yet no not yet no but we've got a lot of traveling to do me and the crew so i'm pretty sure we all have <laughs> and are you allowed to say who you're like if you so who else you got we've got we've said four or five so okay right so the kareem krishna Krishnan, Judge rinder 
Edward Shaw. Nikki. Sam Womack was Janice. Sam. Uh, who else have we got? Louise Minchin and Dr. Zoe, who's half celebrity, half doctor. Oh, she's doing it as well? She's going to do bits of it, yeah. Half celebrity, okay. half doctor. Because we've got a couple of other medics there as well. So um, have, we, have we got uh, Miss Saturday? Oh, yeah, Frankie Bridge. Forgot about her. I haven't met her yet. She she strikes me as someone who is in shape. Well, didn't her didn't her husband do it last year? Pretty sure he might have done it last year. Wait, potentially, yeah. I mean, if, if if that's the case and she's like competitive, then she'll obviously want to smash the shit out of it. I haven't met her yet. Um, well, Wayne um, Wayne Bridge did. Oh no, Wayne Bridge Wayne Bridge did SAS, didn't he? He was SAS. He was impressive. That he for a footballer as well. Um, you know, not to dis- be disparaging of, of football players, but you don't see them as being like power people and like tough people. It's mm. more fitness. But yeah, he was really impressive. So I don't know whether he that's got to be great for her. Right. Because the amount of preparation he must have done, that is going to be her base level. I'd have thought. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm drinking some squash. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that. Well, I haven't met her yet, and usually you get a vibe off people. Mm. And I think that the girls that I've, that I've spoken to, Sam and Louise, and even Zoe, well, Zoe's got a history of obviously being an athlete, so she yeah. knows about mental stamina, she knows about you know pain is temporary and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think that they'll do really, really well. Um, I've all, but I've always got my eye on the boys because I'm just like, you guys you, are, won't you know when you're going to get. Yeah, well, I've always got my eye on the boys, but. <laughs> Yeah, but they don't tell you when they start to start to not feel very good or or because they're like, oh, I've got to pretend. So I don't know whether that will be the same on the ice or whether it will it'll be OK. I don't know. But although there's not really an alpha male there, is there to because uh, I, f- I find a lot of that um, silence and that suck it up, man up attitude comes when there's an alpha male who's dominating. Alpha. Because remember this, they're all celebrities. They're all being filmed. They all want the most exposure. It's for it to be the most dramatic. It can be for them. Oh, so do you think they're going to play up? It's a different alpha. Oh, I don't know. But this is what I'm thinking, right? Oh, it's that's going to be interesting. It's a different type of competition. And are you all on NDAs and things like that about the real, the real Mongolia? No, they haven't made me sign one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> if anybody here works for the sun... <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. is this um I'm, I'm good i'm not gonna do anything like that of course i wouldn't do that i might tell you down the pub when i'm drunk but that'd be it and i know you can keep a secret because you're keeping the last secret exactly exactly um and is this one of those challenges i think greg says everyone's always completed but i don't think that's true of the group challenges i think they're different aren't they to the individual ones like is this one that the expectation and everything will be geared that everyone has to finish or is this one where they almost want four of them to finish and two of them not to i think it's a guinness they're trying to do a guinness world record they're trying to get guinness to do it as a triathlon like the, the first triathlon on ice so that's in the bag but i don't know whether that's how is it a triathlon because there, there's three disciplines and a triathlon is three disciplines right when you when you knuckle it down usually it's run bike swim but it can be apparently three disciplines so um that i don't know whether it's going to happen or not it's just been mm. bandied about but they'll all want to complete it because they're all being sponsored. I think that they'll all work as a team to do it. What I worry about is people getting injured or really cold or ultimately mm-hmm. having a mental breakdown because it's hot, it's it's the most beautiful place, but it's extremely it's extremely 
it rips away parts of you because there's no frame like I said on the telly box there's no frame of reference there's no Mm -hmm. I'm going to run to that tree or I'm going to run to that and have a rest I remember on the last day play a counting game where I counted to what ran counting to 100 walked for 20 ran I did that for about five hours because there was nothing else to do my headphones had snapped there was no one around me I had no one to talk to there was nothing to look at and it was just bleak and horrible and you're stuck in your own head with your own thoughts and no phone so no cat memes so it's like can we send out those uh, little iPods just programmed with hour after hour of bad boy running so that when they're really in a dark hole, you're like, slip some of this on, buddy. Uh, not sure. Maybe with this episode on. Um, yeah, where we just undermine their confidence. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. Not only undermine their confidence, but then we interview somebody that's run a lot more than they fucking have. <laughs> <laughs> well, have, you sent them, have you sent them your episode where you talked about Mongolia? I sent Louise my blog, um, but I haven't sent them my episode. I just don't think they're interested. Like, I think they're all they're all celebrities, man. They, all, they you know they're in their own little bubble world. Like I just think that it, they're not interested in what I do. They don't care. They don't care that about anything I've done. All they care about is that there is someone there who's done it before that can help them. That's it. I'm under no illusions here. Like I'm not. I'm yeah, just there to do what I'm doing. But isn't that just standard practice of people where if you you're doing something you've never done before? No, it's not. It's to... not. It's not because I no because I I uh, when when people enter the Mongol 100, which you can do, friends, if you go onto the Rat Race website, um, people email me before they enter or after they've entered, asking for advice. My email is on there, and they can ask me for advice, and I will give them advice on everything. Sometimes I ring them up. I've got a guy called Cliff who's in Australia. I speak to him maybe once every two weeks because he's so nervous about the whole thing and give him advice and tips. And he bought a bag that I recommended didn't fit very well, so he did this, he did that. He bought the shoes that that I've recommended they didn't fit very well so we went back and got the other ones then we got some insoles from like I talk people through this stuff all the time and they ask me questions and I answer the questions right as best as I can that's what happened this time around because I think that they've been given a brief which is what happens with people that are famous they're given a brief and then they follow the brief because that's what they're programmed to do they're given a script they read from the script or whatever it is like they don't they don't ask questions about it they just do it um so I think that the questions will probably come when we're out there, to be honest, when it's yeah. like, oh, shit, how do I overcome this? The fact that my contact lenses are now frozen into the saline because I didn't put them by the fire. Like, well, that's a problem, isn't it? But um, it's, it's just it's going to be a really interesting um, episode for me um, because I'm, I'm used to like being with people and chatting to people all the time. But remember, this is a documentary they're filming. I very much doubt they want my fucking face in it. So it's going to be like yeah. a proper backseat and we're all just going to try and support them. There's a, there's a decent crew from Rat Race going out, like all of the <clears throat> the medics, the mountain leaders, all the people that have done it before, uh, like as in the, the organisers that have done it before. I'm the only person that's actually run it that's going to help them. But um, it's just going to be a different kettle of fish altogether. And then... Are you going to we- dress up as a, a massive red chilli? Yeah, yeah, I am. Why to not, ru- eh? To ruin all their shots. <laughs> to ruin all their... Be like, I can do this in a bikini! Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. But, um, yeah, it's going to be... But then the week after that, we have the actual event, the Mongol 100 event for the general public. And so then I get loads, they get, I get loads of people to talk to and I'll be able to actually have a lovely non-professional time. And, um, I mean, how motivating will that be where you're like where you're telling everyone there oh come on you're smashing you're, you're smashing judge rinder here or your frankie from the saturdays was blah, well the blah, thing blah. is yeah, the thing is they're not gonna you're not gonna see the the actual uh show the documentary until march 
so um so yeah it comes out the end sort of the end of march i think so uh they won't they, they they'll know it's happened but they'll be like oh my god what was this person like and that person like and it's like look mate i'm not going to actually tell you all of the secrets because i've worked in the media before and i yeah. don't do that like it's not what i do yeah, um, yeah you've got to have a bit of it's you know it's like anything right what goes on on the ice stays on the ice leave it at that like it's just, true. It's like a yeah. bad boy, bad boy night out. Like, it's like a bad boy running Christmas party, except most of that is live streamed on the internet. But <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Cool. Well, um, we will be catching up with you on the other side. Then, what, when's that? Three weeks away? Do we think? Yeah, um, yeah. We leave next week. Uh, two weeks away, and then I'm back. I'm back. So um, I'm back for a week, and then we go to Panama. Absolute volcano for the coast to coast. So. Um, I'm a bit busy at the moment. Cool. Well, going from one person who's been who's flying all over the world to race to another who has uh, done a marathon in every country. Take it away, Nick. So, do badders, um, you've probably been watching Nick from afar, from very afar, quite often. Uh, our next guest, you've heard the story. He's been on the National Running Show. We were with him this weekend, but he's already in L.A. Classic Nick Butters. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Nick Butters. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Come on. So uh, tell the podcast while you're in L.A. It's very cool. Um, Yeah, I'm in L.A. Um, I've just um, yesterday I had a podcast with a certain Mr. Rich Roll. Um, Hanging out with him was amazing. And tomorrow, uh, no, day after tomorrow, I'm uh, about to go and have a little few mile jog with a certain Mr. Dean Carnazes. So, uh, um, yeah, I'm very lucky to, it feels very strange actually to be in uh, this position to run around the world. And I'm now even more busy than I was when I was running around the world. Um, and so, yeah, it's great. And and obviously Dean is a, a legend and I'm, and as is Rich, but, but Dean has obviously been threatening to do what I've done for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and I just want to, I really, I really do want to see him do it because if anyone's going to do it, it should be him. Um, and, and he can, I mean, there's a hell of a lot to do <laughs> having done it. Um, but he wants to do it in such a short space of time, which he wants if, to do it in a year, doesn't he? Exactly. If he, if he does it in a year, um, I'll be absolutely blown away. You think um, it's actually possible? Um, I'm going to say nothing's impossible, but I would say it's close to it. Yeah, I, 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 hands down, we could not have done it in a year. I think even if you had every bit of money in the world, it's nearly impossible. Um, just because of not even the not even the fitness, it's it's just there's so many things go wrong. Um, and again, with Dean being American, that's an added layer of complexity. Not just because of the current administration, but just just because Americans do find it harder to get into certain countries. I think you need um, a, so you need he's a already got a jet, wouldn't you? Yeah. Do you think if he um, had his own jet, I, that would help? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, but still, uh, I mean, if you had your own jet, then yeah, you you would you would be able to do it. Um, but I don't think he has his own jet unless he's unless he can pull that out. Um, unless he's got some amazing contacts that I don't know about. Then uh, I mean, if he if he had, I don't know why he hadn't done it already. You know? Yeah, that's <laughs> um, true. But, actually. But, um, even if, even if, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be difficult, but honestly, I'm meeting with him and we're going to have a chat and I, I want to be his, you know, I want to be his advisor. I want to help him as much as possible and see him do it. Um, because, because it, it needs to be, yeah, it just would be amazing if that, if, if it could be done. 
This is so clever. Anything. So basically, he's going to get to like 189 countries, and then you're going to you're going to ruin one of his tickets so that you've still got the records. It's, exactly. you're, you're, you've infiltrated already, ready to just maintain your your status. It's so clever. He's lulling him into a false sense of security by pretending to be his friend. <laughs> so no, I'm 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 so I, I, I if if anything did happen, it'd be horrendous because because I know how it felt getting towards the end of my two years but you know if that's the worry and that's what i think you know i'll be talking to him about is if you get to that point where you're i don't know 10 months in and you're so close to the end and it only takes for a visa to be refused and for something go to go wrong then mm. you know I, I think i think if he does it he'll beat he'll beat he could beat the record but a year is is really tough really tough. so but before we go into the challenge um what was it like up with rick with Rick Roll, how like how does it work? Did you kind of hang out for the day? You know, does he butt you up first, or is he not allowed to see you before it records? <laughs> no, he's a really lovely guy. He's not this, this diva that comes in and, and doesn't <laughs> doesn't say hello to anyone. No, he's. I mean, I just uh, I just um, drove to his house and was met by a couple of his team, like photographers and videographers people, and um, yeah, we had a chat and. Uh, uh, gave me a couple of his books and we we sat by his his amazing swimming pool and just yeah, what's uh, his house like what's his house yeah. like well i think most people know that he, he sleeps in a tent um so obviously like his famous tent that he talks about was just in his garden and that's where he where he sleeps every night um and his house is obviously he, he built it and it's it's beautiful but very minimalistic and exactly what i would like it's really strange i think the running world does this actually you meet people that are really really similar to you because you're running and you're into this kind of fitness world and then when they're even more alike like rich is i mean apart from our diets like our, our ethos on the world is, is pretty pretty damn identical so um yeah um it's yeah it's always interesting when you know you, you get to meet a, a hardcore vegan and my diet is shocking um, <laughs> and i will say not out of uh, not out of choice really over these last couple of years it's just because mm. i've been for, forced to eat a lot of rubbish and what would you say in because we're obviously going to try and top that interview what would you say he got out of you that you didn't think um he would <laughs> or where did he take you where you didn't expect to go uh, I don't know. I think, well, we, we spoke about all sorts of stuff. And I think I was, we talked a lot about my perspective on the world now. And I think people in their own right, whether you're, um, I don't know, whether you're Richard Branson or one of the royals or you know anybody that has this a relative degree of freedom, i.e. you can travel a lot. There's mm. very few people that have actually visited every every country. And even mm. if you do have the wealth to do something, you know, along the lines of like a Branson or something, then you often don't spend substantial amounts of time in, in all of the 54 countries in Africa. You know, it's not, you know, it's not a place where you go for industry or for, <laughs> for networking events, etc. And so mm. gen- generally speaking, and so... We're just discussing about my outlook on the world having seen having seen a lot of a lot of the world and so um it, I, to be honest every time i talk about it it just gets me impatient to go and do more because i think there's this um and is the assumption that because I've been to every country that I, I've seen it all and actually I've only seen tiny little bits and so I want to I just have this really impatientness to, to go back and uh, uh and go back and explore more of the places I've been to now, um, I mean, so we can, well, let's let's start at the beginning because I know there's going to be, uh, our listeners, we've got quite a few pedants who listen. Um, so how did you, how did this come about? Um, you know, Kev's, Kev's mentioned it a bit on his episode, but 
how did it come yeah. about and then how did you define the challenge yeah okay so yeah so if we roll it all the way back um i guess Starting from the beginning, I had a job. I then got into running, and running then started to take over that job. I then left my job, and then um, at some point or another, I was running in the desert in the in the MDS, which again everybody kind of tries to to transition towards at some point just to tick it off the list. And and I was there, and some people have these life changing moments in the desert. Um, and to be honest, I came back, and you know, I was even asked by the organisers, "Do you enjoy it?" And I said, "No, I bloody hated it because it was painful and horrible. I broke my ankle. I had a nightmare." Um, but broke your in, ankle the MDS yeah yeah Jeez. yeah I uh it was um yeah many many miles from the end of the race and I I crutched I crutched the last two days <laughs> um, wow. just to finish yeah um because you know you're there and you've, you've invested and I was doing quite well up until that point um it's a bit frustrating that that happened um, it was just a just a compound like compound fracture just overtraining I think beforehand but anyway I was in the desert had a nightmare um pretty painful horrible blisters I actually had more blisters on my hands by the end of it because of the crutches which oh, <laughs> I think yeah. the first um so they just and, have uh, spare crutches out there in case well, well no so it must would... happen fairly regularly well, I don't know because I think anybody that that's happened to, they usually, well, they wanted to helicopter me off and the, um, the what's the name of a foot surgeon, orthopedic surgeon, is that right? Yeah. Um, and he came and he came and had a look at me and said, you know, we can't x-ray it, but it is, it is broken. Um, you can, well, well, you know, it wasn't even a question. He just went to go and get the helicopter um, to, to, to take me off. But um in that time when he was disappeared i spoke to another nurse just ran off did you well he was, <laughs> she, uh, was I hobbled off i hobbled <laughs> off she she yeah she she found me uh some crutches and 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 she said you're telling everybody but disappears so um and i yeah i finished and i think patrick barrow finished line when he greets everybody with the medal he was a bit shocked to see me come over the line with crutches um but um and but yeah it was good what, anyway well nick I, I want to talk more about this this is great what is it like <laughs> crutching in a desert because um, you know you did you have to crutch through dunes yes i had to go through dunes lots of horrible dunes um which as everybody that's done the mds they are just eternal and every time you get to the top there is more um but what the, the advantage of in. having yeah absolutely yeah completely sink in and the advantage of 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 not having crutches not only is it easier but on the downhill you can at least kind of go a little bit quicker but i didn't have that luxury when you when you've got crutches so yeah they they just sink in kind of like a, a foot deep and you you don't really get very far but um, that was horrible and that'd have been great but yeah you just have to roll them yeah <laughs> just roll down the hill <laughs> what about pain management weren't you in absolute agony the whole time hmm. Oh yeah, I think this we've probably got cut off. But um, I said I wouldn't have been if it, if it hadn't been for some pretty hardcore painkillers. Um, I uh, I would not have got through it. I was up to my eyeballs and everything I could could manage. My heart rate was absolutely through the roof. Um, and it was just a really uncomfortable situation. To be fair, had it had I not had that not happened and no break occurred, I would have still had a horrendous time because despite the fact I was relatively happy with my position, it was it was. Um, it was brutal and one of the hottest and one of the longest of the uh, that they've done so um yeah and i think kev says it's one of the hardest that he's done when i think he's done it four or five times now so, mm. so yeah so so you're coming back to kevin you know i'm in this desert um suffering as well and then i meet this 
me this guy who's, who's in our tent there's eight of us had a most fantastic tent and like with everybody that goes to, to NDS some people come away with this kind of life-changing feeling mm. um and 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 I I, I didn't really I just kind of came away with that was brutal and horrible and but it, it was Kev's words that kept playing on my mind um and I and I really I, I just it connected with me and and Kev as your listeners probably know, Kev was diagnosed with, with terminal prostate cancer. He was 49 at the time. He was told he could live for as little as two years. Um, and I met this guy and he told me this, but yeah, he was so happy and he was smiling. And there was this weird kind of disconnect between his his happiness and the fact that he was dying. And I thought, what is going on? And, and then it dawned on me slowly over the, over the weeks afterwards that, that this man was one of the few people in the world that understands the value of life. Um, because he's told he's, he's, he's dying and he's got this opportunity to live as many moments as he can before his time's up. And fortunately now, skip ahead many, many years, and he's, he's five years and I think six, five years and 60 days, something like that, um, after his diagnosis, which is so great. Um, but at the time, he said to me, he said, uh, well, whatever you do, just don't wait for a diagnosis. Don't wait for something horrendous to happen in your world. Mm. Um, and... Uh, and that really, really just stuck in my head. I and mean, it has ever since. And almost every day I think about it because we complain a lot. Um, and I wanted to do something for prostate cancer. I wanted to make something, make a difference. And he just literally pushed me over this kind of Clifford adventure, as I call it. You know, I've been pushed towards it all, all through my life through various different means and people kind of pointing me in that direction. And then he, you know, he was just the tipping point. Um, and I, I owe a lot to Kev. And then I, I went away and, and thought, right, what can I do? We kind of said, yeah, let's try and raise a quarter of a million pounds um, for Prostate Cancer UK. But we didn't know how we were going to do it. And I thought, well, it's going to have to be running. I love photography. I love travel. I love meeting people. Let's do something along those lines. Um, and fortunately, um, I Googled, had anybody run a marathon in every country in the world? And they hadn't. I, I, obviously, I knew that Dean would, was threatening to do so and had been for a long time. But I thought, you know, is there anybody that's unofficially done it? What, you know, what's the closest thing to it? um and and it hadn't been done and so you know as soon as you realize that you think well right let's go for it and naively that was the case and if i could rewind the clock and you know, with everything i know now of how difficult it was um you know, forgetting the positives but how you know the amount of stress the financial burden all of that sort of stuff had i known all of that before i started i i don't think i would have done it in all honesty because it was it is absolutely brutal to everybody that I know that has literally put everything they can into it. And I can't tell you the amount of people that have made this trip happen. Um, it, it so nearly didn't happen. It's, <laughs> it it's, a, it's a logistical nightmare. I can't mm. imagine where you start. Like I've got nine trips this year on test pilots and I'm freaking out about that. It's only nine <laughs> trips, right? How the hell do you even start to plan that sort of thing? Yeah, well, I think we had to kind of get a time scale down. So we, you know, three, three marathons a week, every week for 96 weeks with gaps. And so that wasn't the full figure. Um, so that was basically what we were going for. If we could do between an average three a week. Um, so sometimes it was five, sometimes it was one. Hmm. Um, then we could get through. But in, in terms of starting, um, we needed to come up with the money. You know, that's, that's, that's number one, which we didn't do, <laughs> um, which was we, we wasted a lot of time. And I think anybody that tries to do these expeditions or sees, sees people that does this and said, oh, they've got loads of sponsors and it was all paid for. Honestly, it was not. <laughs> you know, everything, uh, everything was hard. Um, and, I mean, what, the run did you estimate the budget you'd need would be? So we estimated that we need around 
so my first budget was 97,000. Um, mm. And that was taking into account a bit of money I had and thought, yeah, we need to raise 97 grand. Um, and then I increased it to 120. And now having finished, um, I can rather embarrassingly tell you we were quite a way out and we've spent close to a million. So what? What? It's, um, it's a lot of money. And, and the amount of people that have come out of the woodwork to make that happen, friends, family, I've sold everything. I now live in a van. Um, and I love it and I wouldn't change it for the world because obviously you're then invested literally um, in the journey, um, not just not just by heart, by by the bank account, too. Um, and I had I had just under 50 amazing sponsors. And some of those sponsors, a lot of those sponsors were more on the side of, you know, we'll give you a pair of socks um, mm. versus, you know, here's a couple of hundred grand because that didn't happen. Um, have, and, have, you had yeah. people, have you had people say to you, why did you spend a million pounds on this when you could have just given that million pounds to charity? This is me playing devil's advocate because people have said this to yeah, me yeah. before. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a, is a very valid question. Um, yeah, absolutely. People, people say that all the time. And the answer is, OK, so here's a million quid to the charity. Then what? You know, we don't have these conversations. Yeah. We don't we don't inspire people. We don't we don't share the awareness. You know, I don't get to experience the world, which that's, you know, it's it, most of this money was money that we found and was mine. And so it was my kind of prerogative to go, you know what? Well, hopefully we'll raise a load of money, but also inspire people. Um, but then there's the, the other angle, the amount of people that I've spoken to about prostate cancer on the trip that have since replied and emailed me. And, and got in touch to say, look, after we after we chatted, I, I got checked for prostate cancer or my dad got checked for prostate cancer and they had prostate cancer, Whoa. you know. And so e- yeah. even we had we had six people well, mm. that I know of that, mm. that, that after the conversations have gone back to me and said that they actually had prostate cancer, um, which which is really powerful. And I think it's not just about about sharing the message. It's also by li- living by Kev's example, which is to, to you know to use your days with, with what you're passionate about. Um, and that was, and that was it. And so in my, in my book, it was, what's, what's the best way to spend my money? You know, if I gave the million pounds to to prostate cancer UK, then a, I'd have no form of income now, you know, I wouldn't be able to share this story. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to to recuperate that. I wouldn't be able to live. Um, I wouldn't have had this amazing experience. I wouldn't have had all these contacts, wouldn't be able to help anybody else travel around the world. I also wouldn't have been able to save any lives with with sharing the with sharing the journey and also there's the exponential nature of the trip you know now i'm speaking to more and more people more and more people know about prostate cancer and so it's potentially more valuable um and i, I certainly think that some an- analysis out there could uh, could argue that but i mean I, either I way don't, i don't argue with that at all i think that that is because ultimately you know i think a lot of people that fundraise for anything even small amounts like you know london marathon that sort of thing yeah. um I'm like, look, exactly what you said. I think raising awareness and inspiring people and also to have those people go and get themselves mm. checked out. That's, you can't put a price on that. You can't put a price on six people's lives. You no. probably wouldn't have gone and done that. So, yeah, I'm totally with you. And uh, I think that, that, um, that that's amazing. And, and even coming on this podcast yeah. is probably worth about 20, 30 quid of PR. So, Wait, you know, so you're... It's worth 20 or 30 P of PR. 20, 30 P of PR. So you're already <laughs> drawing that back. You just need to do a million more episodes and then... Yeah, we'll be there. And, well, invite and had, me on again. We'll we'll make it up to sixty p. Yeah. <laughs> and had you had you done challenges before? Like what what were the other options? And and what did you have any other thoughts? Yeah, and... yeah. I, I I had all sorts of other options. I even started out with a you know 
let's do a round the world kind of thing. Shall we do seven continents? Shall we do a length of a country, a length of a continent, um, up around the North Pole? What, you know, what, what, what could we do? Um, I'm just kind of, it was all, most of it was internal. I think most of these ideas, it's not some grand meeting with everybody that you know and go, what can I do? You just have a, a few quiet thoughts to yourself on a run or in the shower and, and you go, hmm, yeah, okay, maybe this is possible. And then you, and then you uh, you have a look and, and and you think okay that's not it's not been done and so yeah I, I mean a marathon in every country in the world is is an opportunity to see so much um, but I yeah the, the struggles that came after that were <laughs> were much much harder than I expected because actually as a, as a challenge um, you know the running aspect you, you did mention you did you know five six marathons in a week sometimes but it's not actually that hard compared to the logistics Absolutely, really. Yeah. Oh, no, not nowhere near. Um, it's I call it in, in in like logistic endurance. It's not physical endurance. I mean, there was that element, and if anybody tries to do that, it is the combination. It's the logistical endurance plus the physical endurance that makes the whole compound effect of why it was so bloody tough. Um, because when you've got food poisoning, when you've been either attacked or bit by a dog or had a broken bone or something like that, and you realise that the show's got to go on because you've got another, mm. I don't know, 100 countries to do. Um, that's that's the difficult bit. And then you realise, well, okay, so I had a, I was um, hit by a hit by a car towards the, the end of the trip and I broke my elbow. And, you know, at that point, you then don't want the conversation with your team that says, oh, by the way, you're going to have to get to the airport now because the flight's been cancelled or your visa's refused. And all of that happened. And so when mm. that happens, it, that's, that's the difficult bit. It's the mentally getting over it. And I think most endurance events, physical or otherwise, involve the mind, uh, especially you know, long distance running events are a lot in the mind. And I think a lot of people would say that. And so this was exactly the same thing. It's just the focus was less on the physicality and more on the, on the mind. So how, how did you set about planning this then? Um, <laughs> I spent a lot of time on my own thinking about how I can do it and then I went to places like travel agents and said so can I go here can I go there um, obviously we needed to ratify which countries were countries and what that was classified as and speaking to Guinness World Records and um, the UN and all that sort of stuff um, and then and then it was about trying to link up flights was it actually physically possible to fly from one country to the other to the other um, and it turns out not really without a lot of juggling of passports and all that sort of stuff um and once you've got the so i spent about nine months sending lots of emails to try and find funding which didn't work and then spent lots of emails trying to find companies that would support with the logistics which didn't work um and i then uh, had a really good conversation with a friend of mine called jeff jeff smith who um he is he has a, a non-profit called uh, big moose based in cardiff he's also a really good friend with kev and we met out in the desert as well. Um, and Jeff is this this great man, and he said to me, "You need you need some people to help you. You can't do this on your own." Uh, and I was like, oh, "I can't afford to pay anybody." Had you spent nine do. months doing this on your own? Yeah, yeah. Did you guys out? Yeah. Jesus Christ, yeah, 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 yeah. Like <laughs> trying to trying to work it all out. Can you imagine your anxiety <laughs> with notebooks? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but at that point, it was kind of exciting because I had no idea like how. You know, when you when you do them do the numbers and you think, oh, it's going to be 100 grand and uh, it should take this long, 
Uh, I should take this many flights. This is probably the average amount I'll be spending on accommodation. You know, you think you just you just talk yourself into it, but it's complete rubbish. Like everything, more or less everything I did in those first nine months was an utter waste of time. But I Yay. did learn from it. So, um, so um, anyway, I met Jeff, and, and 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 Jeff said to me, "You need to hire somebody." I, I took that decision, um, and I I found a, an assistant who. Um, I paid virtually nothing, but did a, a great job to try and kind of bounce ideas off. And we, we spoke about the trip and then skipped forward many, many months. We then had more people involved. We had security, we had nutritionists, we had a psychologist, we had uh, all of the visas, uh, the visa people at Universal Visas. Um, and we had a, a big meeting in London um, with about, uh, ooh, I think about eight or nine months until I left. Um, and that was right. What position are we in? Um, which countries do we need to be wary of? All this kind of stuff, and then it started to get really serious after that, with with actually realizing it was it was much bigger than we first thought. And like, how how do you how do you break it down? Like, did you have a strategy for for the routes, and and, and like, what factors determine that strategy? Yeah. Okay. So, it, in routes, in terms of traveling around the globe, and routes running, obviously different. So, traveling around the globe. Um, Everything det- was determined by visas and passports. And so all of the phases, I have nine phases of the trip, and they are um, every time I needed a new passport, basically, um, because the passport was full. And so I had to juggle between two passports. <laughs> wow, I didn't even think about that. Didn't even think about it getting full. Oh, I had nine passports. <laughs> oh that's, wow. the, uh, that's, that's the extent of how difficult it is. And, and to put it into context, I, we, we thought I would need about 220 flights over the two years. Mm. Um, but we actually needed 455. So oh, that God. gives you an idea you know of how you're much not, went wrong. You're not very good at guessing games, <laughs> are you? <laughs> not at all. Not how at many all. sweets are in the jar, Nick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I won that once at school. I can uh, I can guess how many sweets in the jar, but I can't guess how many flights I need. Yeah, um, that, was, that was the start of all this. Like, oh, I got that, that right, so this must be right. <laughs> that's so true. So true. And so I, um, was each yeah. nine was was each ninth like one long trip then? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it's not quite as neat and tidy as that. Um, imagine like the most messy situation of travel you can get yourself in where everything goes wrong. Just multiply that up by 674 days and you get a rough idea of how many things went wrong. Um, but I, yes, yeah, so the visas definitely determined it. Obviously, there was a weather element, there was a kit element, uh, and there was also um, trying to allow myself enough breathing space. So we tried to build in some buffers. Um, uh, we had four 10-day periods throughout the whole trip, which were kind of earmarked as if things go wrong, then you have a little bit of time in the bank. Um, but ridiculously, they were all used up in the first six months of the trip. Um, and uh, I mean, if if you could have been a fly on the wall to the conversations that we'd had with my with my dad and the rest of my team with six weeks to go before before the end of the trip, with you know, six weeks from the finish line, and there was shouting, screaming, crying. Everything was horrendous because we were so, so stressed. I was absolutely ruined. I'd lost so much weight. I was tired, physically exhausted, mentally just ready to stop. And, you know, I, I my, my brilliant dad who, who took it upon himself to, um, I say took it upon, I pushed it upon him <laughs> to, uh, to be responsible for, for booking all of my flights. Um, and he, he called me and said, look, look, son, we, we, we're not going to be able to do this we will not be able to complete this trip. Um, and at that point, 
we had more conversations and more conversations in the following hours and days that came and the same message was was coming down the phone to me it was we can't do this we what, cannot what was get the visas it? It, we, yeah okay. we can't get the visas we don't have the time um, we don't have the money pretty much everything apart from i have my legs and i can run but everything mm. else was difficult we were refused visas to yemen we refused visas to syria to iran to libya um and i was thinking that how on earth i was just so angry i was like how can we get to this position because you, you're completely in the wrong mindset and how do we get to this position where we spent four years two years planning and nearly two years completing it and we haven't got a visa like this is crazy was there a reason why you left because i think i'd have gone straight to the middle east first because that to me would always be the one that's just uh, a wild card schoolboy error though i'm afraid if you do that because if you go there then you're not allowed in many other places um ah. and so it makes it much more difficult um yeah and and there's also actually there is also another element which if i'm going to get shot in yemen i'd quite like to see the rest of the world first <laughs> you know mm. and yeah, so it, there is there was actually quite a, a few options but there are if you go to you know you can't go to israel first and then you really are screwed because there's so many places that, mm. that don't like, allow that and then you have you know so let's say i've been to yemen and syria and iran then can i go and run in the us no i can't unless you have to go through this huge process that i went through um and so uh, yeah there's lots of reasons there's political reasons there's kind of the volatility of war in situations um and and there's the also the the completely factors that you can't control so natural disasters um uh, the odd plane crash that happens that my you know you spent two years planning and then the, my very very first plane um, from London on the 6th of January 2018 to fly to Toronto, which was Canada number country number one. Um, the only aviation accident that was going on in the world was in the airport I was flying to, um, oh which I know <laughs> we were driving to the airport and we had this news: Toronto plane crash, um, all flights like grounded, and I was like, oh my word, I cannot believe this. Unfortunately. Um, my flight, my flight was able to land, but I, you know, many others were cancelled. It was just by chance. It's just um, and so from, you know, this story just yeah. shows you how messed up the world we live in is. You just, there's just no freedom of movement between borders, is there? It's just completely insane. Like you're lucky that you did it before Brexit, dude. It would have been way more difficult. Then. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what Brexit's going to do. I think, I think Brexit might be a might be a red herring. Really, it will probably turn out everything. Everything be fine. I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out tomorrow. But, to, to, yeah, yeah, true. To be, yeah, actually, it's tomorrow. To, to be fair, um, I've learned from seeing everywhere that we have this this um, perspective of the world, which is that it's terrible and we can't move around. But actually, I really, like, I've seen stuff and I realise how how we can really move around. We are living in such an amazing time that, for example, the the amount of people that are living below the poverty line. Um, has halved in the last 20 years. In my lifetime, the amount of people taking out of poverty, it's just incredible. You know, we are we are really, truly living. There's a brilliant book called Factfulness, and it's about just understanding the true, real world view. Um, and I, it just rung so many bells. I was reading it. I was actually listening to it on my, you know, as I was running, um, as I was doing the trip. And it, it taught me so much about how we have this kind of outdated view of the world and it's, it's so terrible but yes of course there's, there's horrendous things going on in the world and i'm not taking away from that but we are living in a pretty amazing time where you know for pretty much 400 pounds return in the western world you can get to nearly anywhere in the, in the world and back 
within a couple of days. You know, four or five hundred pound return. Um, you can fly nearly anywhere. Wow, um, and that's, that's pretty special. <laughs> oh, yeah, were you prepared to to risk going into a country illegally? Yeah, uh, yeah, I had yeah I had that question once, and you know I thought, hmm, what's the answer to that? Yeah, of course. Uh, if you if you if you do that, um, I think anybody that says they wouldn't, I think they'd probably be lying because if you if you put everything on the line, then hopping over a border. And, and a classic example, I was. So towards the end of the trip, um, uh, Syria was coming up and I needed to, the only access to Syria, you can't easily fly, um, we can't fly. And the only way in is through uh, Beirut, um, Lebanon. And my dad called me and said, classic moment where I had the phone call of dread again. And he said, um, we're not gonna be able to get you into Syria. The travel agent, which turned out to be just a, a guy in a car, um, has uh, has cancelled because his his driver that was due to take you was shot and killed yesterday on the road going to Whoa. Syria. Um, and 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 then my dad said, so what do you want to do? Uh, and I said, and he just kind of gave me a few minutes, hung up, and I called back and said, well, we don't have a choice. Um, so we found another driver, um, and we were literally driving around huge flaming tire roadblocks through Lebanon on the outskirts of Beirut to get into Syria. Um, and with the, with the nature of how dangerous it was, we had to change cars um, from a Lebanese plated vehicle to a Syrian plated vehicle at the right point in order to not get shot by the rebels on the road. So that gives you an idea of how, what, what <laughs> how it was doing, stressful. What is this doing to you, like physically and mentally? Because you're putting your body under this immense stress of doing the runs and that's great yeah. and everything. But then you've also got like this cortisol like flowing through your body all mm, the time like yeah permanent yeah it's true you actually you actually become quite desensitized to it um i um you know i can't say i wasn't i wasn't stressed and worried you know the, the few moments when i was on that car journey and i said to the, the new driver who we didn't speak any english and we were both <laughs> struggling to understand each other but i needed a wee and i said can i just get out of the car and have a wee here somewhere and he was like no you can't hear and as soon as that, that happens, it's like, okay, that's, that means we're in a pretty dangerous position and I, I'm, I'm scared now. Um, but there's been so many occasions like that. You're going over the border into Yemen from Amman and it's two in the morning and the, uh, the guy that was driving me over there was even more sketchy. and He just seemed really dodgy, the dodgy character. And, um, and I found out we had about, I don't know, 10, 15, 20, maybe even more um, armed, armed men around the vehicle and they were... It was obviously pitch black, plenty of dogs and rather menacing situation. And I found out that this guy was smuggling goods into Yemen and using me as a mule. Oh, and I know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my word, what is going on? Because Yemen, you know, you're not, I'm not, I wasn't afraid of getting shot. I was afraid of getting locked up and literally them throwing away the key. Because mm. obviously the British, British government doesn't have any, um, you know, they, they won't come and get you. There's no embassy. Um, yeah. There's no. No. Well, not only yeah, not only that is that they won't even get you from anywhere else. And and with, I mean, with those two examples, um, so did, did you go into those places without visas then? No, 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 you can't. It's impossible. So, I mean, the borders are are pretty well manned, and it takes you know it takes hours to get through the borders because they look through your passports, and you know when you're at a Yemeni border at two in the morning and somebody takes your passport and doesn't bring it back for four hours, that's scary. That's alone, you know, without all the guns and the darkness and the dogs and all that kind of added mm. pressure. You yeah. know, just somebody taking your passport away and then not coming back and not knowing where it is, 
um, you know, because it could have just been could have been like 100 miles down the road. <laughs> you have mm. no idea where it's gone. Um, and so you do need visas. Um, and it's only thanks to a brilliant company based in London called Universal Visas, who um, not only supported for the entire trip, but they um, they did it. You know, they didn't charge us anything for the so for their fees, I only had to pay the embassy fees. Um, but with things like Yemen, we had those refused a couple of times, and we just have to keep going through various different channels. Um, and and took- do they give reasons why they refuse? Like, how like how does it actually work? Because most of the time, I've had to get an unusual visa, like yeah. Afghanistan or um, yeah. Sierra Leone. I've, I've had to go to the embassy in person and kind of had a little yeah. chat um, to clear it through. Like, how did they actually? How did you get this yeah. done without being there? Yeah, I've had to have that. I've had to do that a couple of times. So sometimes I had to fly back, go to the embassy, have you know, do my biometrics, like my scan my eyes or do my fingerprints or whatever. Um, but most of the time, the the reasons they give me. So what was one of them? Um, I can't remember which way round it was, but I think it might have even been the Syrian one or the Yemeni one. And they they said, well, because on your website it says you're going to Israel, um, we won't allow you in here. Um, it was Iran, I think. I think it was Iran. Mm. Um, and uh, and I said, right, okay. So, so just being what do dicks I do? for being a dick's sake, really, because they they well, clearly I mean, know they're that Iran. you're not a spy <laughs> and that yeah. yeah, yeah. I love the fact that they've your website. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the that, I tell you what. <laughs> yeah, extra views. That's um, it. Really helped because the amount of times that I was in a sticky situation and they didn't believe me what I was doing. You know, I could just point to the, the news articles or the website and go, well, no, I'm, I'm legit. Like, this is this is actually me. Um, and and then the conversation would get a little bit more lighthearted. But, um, yeah, we, we ended up going into Iran, into a particular place in Iran, which doesn't require a visa. So um, and it was only a, a day. So I was in there for a few hours and, and got out again. That was actually one of the most um, difficult runs of the trip. I, I wasn't given any water. Uh, uh, my driver that I had, again, super early hours of the morning in Iran, he uh, he said to me, oh, yeah, we'll just get water on the route. You know, I'll, I'll drive behind you and we'll, we'll go around the corner and there'll be water. And I waited and waited and waited. And I was getting really angry with him. because I was like, where is this water? It's like 40 degrees. It's so hot. Mm. I, I need water. And I did 24 and a half miles without any water. Oh, my God. Um, and I was peeing, peeing blood like quite a lot by the end Whoa, um so your kidneys which, must have been yeah. um oh, my kidneys were ruined i had a few kidney infections on the trip so yeah and and so how then like firstly how how is it there's a place in iran you can you can pop into about a visa is, is that is there no border crossing there then or it's an island uh it's an island and they have oh. it's, it's you know it's the same as I suppose it's the same as a lot of like the Pacific Islands. Yeah, you, Isle you of go White. to some of them, you don't need anything. Oh, the Isle of Wight, <laughs> a little bit. Isle of Wight or the Island of Kish, kind of the same. <laughs> or, Jer- um, or Jersey. Uh, Jersey's weird. It's like a weird own little place, but attached to us. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that that kind of thing. Um, but you know, we we only found that out through like my mum actually found it copious amounts of googling and trying to find a different way forward. But it was um, that was a yeah. It makes me kind of a little bit almost like anxious talking about it because it was a really not very pleasant time because I've got mm. everybody waiting for me to finish this trip and we've invested so much and imagine it's almost worse doing 195 not quite doing the 196 and yeah. so this is the kind of thing that you know when Dean does it, it this is the kind of thing that he's got to be ready for because mm. otherwise it's just 
everything goes up in the air. And was, so, everybody, was everybody remote? Like, was your, your, you said your mum and dad were helping you out. You had drivers yeah. here. Did you actually have anybody with you for the entire trip? Like, anybody that you could, like, lean on who was helping just, you with admin? Or even or just chatty. Yeah, or just chatty. Or oh, have no. a cry with. Yeah, have a cry with. No, I, uh, I travelled on my own. Um, my team were dotted around all over the place. And I mean, my team fluctuated from, like I said, at the very beginning from me only to then all the way up. At the peak, we had 19 people. And then all the way back down towards the end of the trip when we couldn't afford anything, we just relied on volunteers. Um, I mean, overall, the team was probably in the hundreds because we had so many great contacts, but it was a lot of volunteers. And I had friends. So I had a brilliant mate called Andy, who's a, a great runner. Um, and he came out and did 19 countries with me. Um, just like just every now and then he would come out and do a weekend or something you know did 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 brazil my brother came out and saw me in kazakhstan and all that sort of stuff and so i have i had friends and family see me but most of the time i actually had friends that i'd met on the trip come and find me in other places you know i'll be in a in an airport in central africa and i heard this voice behind me saying oh nick 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 and i I thought it can't be me surely and it was and there was a guy that i met in paraguay who in South America, Central America, who um, happened to be going through the same Central African airport at the same time. Amazing. And then it's the same thing. You know, this, this whole trip has been about people. I have no idea. I mean, in the planning stages, at no point did I, did I realise that people were going to be such a central focus. And as a classic example, um, five, six years ago, when I was running the Silverstone Half Marathon. Oh, that's uh, a it's horrible. Is that, yeah, it's a, it's a brutal one. Um, it was raining as well. And I, I met a guy. It, have you done it? Yeah, I have. I thought it'd be fun. I'd make like noises like a car. But then I realised it's not fun because it's Silverstone and it, you're not a car. And it, the whole thing seems to be uphill, whereas I thought it'd be flat. And it was raining when yeah. I did it. Yeah, exactly. we might have been done at the same time. It w- yeah, it wasn't particularly pleasant. I was there pacing somebody as um, as one of my one of my sponsors at the time when we go along, and I went along, finished the race, and after that race, I was well, wait, kind of sheltering you're doing in a... extra runs in between. No, no, no. no. This is years ago. ago. Oh, sorry, sorry. This is years ago. <laughs> this is years ago. This no, no, I wasn't doing that. This is years ago, um, and I I'm, I was huddling in a hangar at the end of the race, and I met a guy called Veton, and this guy Veton said to me, "Oh, well." Um, yeah, no, it'd be good to, you should come to Kosovo one day. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I didn't think anything of it. Um, we didn't speak to each other for four years. Um, and when I arrived in Kosovo, little did I know, but he had got in touch with the team and he arrived and picked me up from the airport. And he said, do you remember me? And he, we, we both just went, oh, my word, I can't believe this is happening. And skip ahead many, many months, many years to now, now. Veton is now my assistant and he used to work for the UN and he had so many contacts to make this trip possible. So just to give you an idea, you know, I met him, had no idea that I would be anywhere near Kosovo when I met him. And then all of a sudden he's now working with me and he's, I speak to him like five times a day. I wish you could see my face right now because my face is just like beaming with glory. Like what an amazing story. People are brilliant. People are brilliant. You're so right, Ali. The the amount of... um, the amount of people that have come out of the woodwork, a brilliant woman in Barcelona called Rowena. She, uh, she was listening to Radio 2, Chris Evans, when I, when I did that early on in the trip, um, when he was still on BBC. And, uh, and she then emailed my team and said, oh, Nick can come and stay with me in Barcelona, which was lovely. And I had that a few times. But then when I was in Barcelona, she said, where are you going next? And I said, oh, Andorra. And so she drove me to Andorra. And then when we were in, in Andorra, she said, where are you going next? And I said, oh, I'm going to Nice. She said, oh, I'll drive you to Nice. <laughs> and she literally just opened up her home, 
um, and, and drove me to these to these three countries just because she wanted to help. Um, and that was you know, the countless tales of that all over the world. Did you ever meet anyone? I mean, that's great and everything, but I do like stories when stuff goes wrong. Did you ever meet anyone that you were like, hey, this person's great, and then they turned out not to be so great in the end? <laughs> um, yeah. It's happening right now. It's happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening right now. No, um, I, I, no, I had a weird, no, I don't think, I don't think the answer is yes. I didn't have any, any bad situations like that. The only time I did have was when I arrived in an airport and I was frequently greeted, greeted by people that either me, either putting me up in the hotel or putting me up in their home. Um, and I had, this was in Lesotho, um, and I had three different people all holding a sign with my name on wow. and they didn't know it. And they all kind of greeted me and said, hello, you're staying with me. Hello, you're staying oh, with no. me. Hello, you're staying with my hotel. And I was like, so which way do I go? Like, oh, and they were the luckily. Who's got the best hotel? <laughs> well, no, I literally said, so which is the nicest? <laughs> so I was like, you know, because that's what everyone's going to be thinking, right? Just yeah. say, what, you know, when, when you do, when you, when I've traveled so much, you're so cautious to the when you just say what you think. And I, I said, so what's the nicest? And luckily they were really lovely people. Um, and it turns out that I stayed in a brilliant hotel and the other guy, um, one of the other guys was actually really short for time anyway. So he went his own way. And then the other guy, um, turned out to be a really great photographer and got some brilliant photos of me so if you've seen that picture of me running down the road he yeah. took that in Lesotho yeah oh so uh, that's so the, all right then everyone's happy I like that and these are all random people that like had you print random anything people. or and and how no so like how how were you approaching that were you trying to get PR in each country you were going into pre, before you went to then get a support crew there or? no no, I wasn't trying to get PR. I was actually just trying to find a bed for the night um, mm. and, and ideally a bed for the night and a runner. You know, so the idea is, is that if you were a runner in, I don't know, the Congo and you want me and you know, I'm coming, do you want me to run? Do you want to run with me? And do you have a spare bed that I can sleep in? There's pretty much that everywhere. Um, and we used Facebook. We used social media a lot. We used uh, running clubs. We used uh, the embassy. The embassy was a really useful, useful tool, actually. Um, mm. And I ran with, I think it was close to, I think it was 40 plus, I can't remember the exact number, 40 plus different British ambassadors from all over the world wow. that would, would come out and, and run. And, Wait, and which country was them. the worst? Which country was the slowest? The slowest run? The, the slowest the, ambassador. Oh, the slowest ambassador. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, there is one story about a, an ambassador <laughs> in Luxembourg, which um, he was a lovely guy, bless him, but it wasn't slow but i was chatting to him and as i was running he ran straight into a lamppost oh, no. <laughs> and, and i was like oh my word i felt terrible he was still in his suit as well um <laughs> he was running with you in his suit what yeah legend. he only did a few kilometers but yeah it was, it was great and you know similar stories to that the the guy called um bernard who's the british ambassador in el salvador and mm. he organised the Minister of Sport and the something or another. There's another something or other, like uh, a body of people in, in El Salvador. And they got together and they arranged a thousand people to run with me. They made handmade Whoa. medals with That's my face on them. That's a event. Whoa. Yeah, I know. But that, this is the thing. So people say, how many events did you do? Most of the runs that I did were organised by people on the ground. So they turned into events when I was there. And we had, you know, water stations. We had, I had nine different TV stations, <laughs> nine different TV stations, all filming the entire run in El Salvador. And we did a big press conference afterwards. Um, and I went to schools to do some talks. And, you know, it's just hectic. You know, when you've only got like 48 hours or 72 hours, it was... Um, it must be quite overwhelming as well, because mm. I don't know if you're anything like me, but 
yeah, I, I don't particularly like people looking at me or paying attention, even when I'm trying trying to raise money or get their attention or whatever it is. But then that happened. Problem. I couldn't handle it at the running show when people knew my name. But but that you must be just like, what is going on? This is like some sort of Truman Show style film. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit strange like that. To be honest, I, I got very uh, very used to it, and I also got very complacent with it, which I, I was becoming aware that I was becoming more and more expectant not that like i was expecting a thousand people to come out with me every time but if i arrived in a country and i was like no oh, i've only got like where's all the people like am i going to run on my own and yeah. you know, it was a it was a kind of it was actually quite difficult because sometimes you'd go from having you know i stayed with a, a really lovely family in dubai a french family and i've since very good friends with them um and what i struggled with is when I didn't realize this again so many things I didn't realize before I started but saying goodbye to people it's not like you're mates with somebody from work that you go to the pub with and talk about the latest Netflix series that you don't really care about these people that you meet are purposely coming out of their way to help you they're into running they're like-minded and they're opening up their homes and their time for you and then two days later they've put every bit of effort into me and I've gone you know yeah. and it feels it, it felt it's really it was it was starting to become a real difficult for me to, to start to say goodbye and I was trying to kind of hold back and almost like not make too many bonds with people because every now mm. and then it would just get too it just get too much but you know I was so emotionally ruined anyway and physically tired that my whole body was you know just it just shot away really and and that, and that didn't help were you um were you also flying the flag for Britain in uh, in other ways if you know what I mean Nick while you were on your travels? <laughs> I tried no, I tried not to. To be fair, even even if I even if I wanted, to, I had no time. Um, I <laughs> it so doesn't take long, it, Nick. It, believe me, ask Brizzy. Doesn't take long. <laughs> it, if you if you look at it this way, um, I mean maybe maybe on planes that was probably my only thing. No, I I I um. Uh, you know you've got uh, a run day and a travel day and every now and then you have a day in the middle to rest and that day in the middle to rest is then doing things like washing my clothes <laughs> really boring things writing my instagram posts or writing my blog or backing up because my hard drive your blog, your blog made it look like you had like sightseeing days off where you get on a bus and you go and have a nice little mooch around town like that's kind of how i felt about yeah. it when i when i was looking at them good it wasn't Good. that way. Yeah, though, it wasn't was it? quite. wasn't wasn't quite like that. No, every. I mean, yeah, most of those blogs were written at like three or four in the morning when I have very little sleep, and I'm like, oh, I just got to get this written. Were, and those that's why the the same... were those blogs what you wanted to have happened, not what actually did happen? No, no, no. They were. It was really real. I was really honest with some of them. You know, I I did a few of them were talking about how many times I had the shits and I was, you know, like throwing up all the time. I was I was brutally honest with them. Um, it was it was. To be fair, some of the some of the times I I couldn't say stuff that I wanted to say. For yeah. example, you know, all of these problems we're having with getting into Iran or yeah. all of that stuff because I, I, it would have jeopardised stuff. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, but other than that, it was, yeah, it was more or less exactly how how it was. But I did I did have a few. You know, there was times I had I had eight days in South Africa. I had eight days in Peru. I had chunks of time in places because we needed to build it in for, for all these things to go wrong. Um, which then, you know, it, we would then use a couple of those eight days to, to, to go to somewhere else or, yeah. or whatever. But, so, yeah. so when you were going into a place then, because you, you mentioned about how in um, 
not the safe how you had you know one place had a thousand people running how another yeah. had people just turn up at the airport like how much how much did you know um about what was actually going to happen each time that you went to a new country good question good question um i a huge range actually so in my calendar my calendar was like my bible for the whole trip mm. um it had all of my flight details in it had um, so in my in my diary, I had accommodation, travel, and uh, runners, and like those three headings in capitals, and under those details, it had everything that I needed to know. Um, and so whether I needed visas, and if so, like where is the bit of paper? And I had all my bits of paper that were numbered with the right visas on, um, and which passport I should use because if I'm travelling with multiple passports. Um, and then in terms of the runners, sometimes it would say. David is going to meet you at such and such and then you're going to go for an interview and he wants you to come back to his home for lunch or something like that um, but then that would then turn into they would go oh well by the way we're going out bowling or um, I don't know if you want to do this but we're we're about to go surfing or you know that kind of thing mm. um, and and it was great but you also then didn't know how much time you had and little things like charging my watches to make sure mm. I could record my runs and charging my phone as well and all of my sat phones and my uh, my GPS device, all that kind of stuff needed to be made sure it was on charge. And it sounds trivial, but it turned into a you know, having to say goodbye to people really early like of an evening or of a dinner because I then had to go and find an adapter or I had to go and back something up or send something or, or write a letter in person to a... Um, uh, to an embassy or something and so there was lots of little admin tasks which I didn't want to do I hoped the trip would be I was the runner and everything else would be done for me because it was going to be physically enduring and I re mm. re then realised that I can't just do that because the trip wouldn't work Well that's part one do badders because we wanted to get Ali's story of Sport Relief out before she went um, and we wanted to get Nick out just because it's such a good story. We've decided to split these into two halves. Don't worry though, we're putting them out simultaneously so you're not going to have to hang around. If you enjoyed this episode, other ones I'd recommend are I mean, the Ali, Ali Bailey one when she was talking about running across the frozen lake when she did it the first time. Really, really interesting. But Ali and I are going to be back at the end of the second part just to summarise our views and everything and also to, to make some further recommendations. One thing you could do that would be massively helpful, the National uh, Running Awards is currently on and we're actually making a bit of an effort to try and win best blog slash podcast. So if you buy your desk or anywhere that you can access the internet, please just go on there now and just make a, a little vote for Bad Boy Running. If, um, if, if you're really motivated to help us, then get your friends involved, get your companies involved, get your running clubs involved, basically anyone who you think is, is someone who owes you a favour or might be interested because um, we've not really tried to do well in the vote before. It'd be nice to actually just have one year where we put all our efforts in and get some level of success and then we can stop faffing with it because we can be like, yeah, back in the day, nailed it. Now we, we don't really care because we're too cool for school. Um, so thanks for listening and there's another episode right on the way.
Fuck you, buddy. 